Today on the Bryantland Show, we are jamming on the one, j- 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 jamming on the one, jamming on the one, jamming on the one with my man Jordan Harvin. Jordan and I get into hunting out west. We really haven't had a lot of guys on that have been or have the experience of uh, hunting the western states, specifically the state of New Mexico. We get into it talking about bow hunting, hunting out west, and how yoga is a tool that Jordan uses to be a better hunter. Man, Jordan Harvin on the Bryantland Show, DJ, that would be my editor, DJ, play my music. Stone Mountain, Georgia. This is the Bryant Land Show, hosted by proud Gamecock and South Carolinian AB3. It's almost like a biblical reference, if you will. My man Jordan Harvin came down from the mountains to make time to talk to your boy, AB3. Jordan, what's happening, man? What's happening, man? Nothing much over here. Just uh, got a little bit of wrestling on in the background. You know, it's funny. I don't do a whole lot of talking about, like, some of the things that's going on, but you obviously you can't ignore it. And one of the things, as I was preparing to get ready to talk to you, the Royal Rumble, uh, I'm not sure how much of a big wrestling fan or how familiar you are with wrestling, is on in the background and I mean I think at that rumble they had like 60,000 people in the stands man and then to see that in January which seems like it's a long way away from now but it's really not and to where we are now with almost no sports and no fans in the uh, stands it just kind of took me back while I was sitting here preparing for this man but it's crazy yeah you know like I mean I work in uh, sports television, you know, I'm sports television director, and I mean, ain't no sports, so I've just been kind of getting things together and taking this time to do productive things, things that I normally wouldn't have time to, but like I said, I turned on the, uh, the wrestling and just looking at it, it's just like, man, how things have changed, but anyway, like I said, there's a whole much to do about nothing. You came down from the mountain to talk to me, so let's get into this, man. What... You said you was up in the mountain shed hunting. How did that go? It didn't go too good this time. You know, I just got up there late afternoon after work. So I only had about four hours to work with it with sunlight anyway. So How often do you go? I try. As soon as about mid-February hits, I'm trying to get up there every weekend or every day that I can after work. Okay. And are you um, looking for not only whitetail sheds, but I would assume in uh, New Mexico mule sheds as well? We got mule deer out here and the elk should be dropping about right now. So that's really what I want. I never had an elk shed, so I've been trying to find one. Son, I've seen a couple of people um, pick up elk uh, sheds, man. It is truly remarkable. I gotta, I gotta put that on my list of uh, hunts that I want to tackle elk hunt. But 
Man, for you, I was doing a little bit of uh, research on your background and stuff. United States Air Force. Are you still serving, or are you like, are you stationed in New Mexico? Or are you done, or what's what's the deal with the Air Force? Uh, yes, sir. I'm still serving. Um, active duty, stationed in New Mexico. Been here going on six years now. Oh wow. Yeah, I've been stuck here for a little bit, but it's all right. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people don't really know about hunting in New Mexico. Now, I've had a couple of people that have either hunted out there or live out there and hunt out there, man. And, I mean, it's plentiful. Like you say, you got the mule deer, you got white tails, you got elk. So, I mean, that anytime you station somewhere away from home or you live somewhere away from home, like I did, I lived in Wisconsin for almost four and a half, almost five years. When you live somewhere and you're a hunter and the hunting's good, man, that makes up for a lot, don't it? It does. It does. I mean, it's, it's really been like a piece for me to be able to get into hunting in New Mexico because like you said, there's so many species here, but also there's so much public land here. So it's really like anybody can do it. Now, everybody's not going to be successful out the gate, but anybody <laughs> can get into it, you know? Well, exactly. But in order to be successful, you got to start somewhere. And for you, where did you start? Like, did you start when you got out to New Mexico? Because I was reading, uh, again, doing my research, Greenhorn Hunters, you are one half of that group, uh, you and one of your buddies, and y'all have been hunting together or have been hunting about three or four years, I believe you said. So what made you want to get into hunting? Was it being out there in New Mexico or what? So it's, it's actually a weird transition on how I got to hunting. Now, initially getting out in New Mexico, the first thing you're going to see is there's going to be flat plains, there's going to be mountains. So getting out here, you know, I just wanted to get up in the mountains, get out in nature. Hunting wasn't really anything I knew anything about. But uh, my buddy Will, who's the other half of Greenhorn Hunters, we've been stationed together in Japan. Then we came here to New Mexico together. And he always wanted to hunt the West. He grew up in Arizona. Teddy Roosevelt's like his, uh, his idol conservation is a big thing for him. So, you know, talking to him, I'm, I'm listening and learning about it, everything like that. I honestly didn't see myself doing it, but I'm going to hang around with my boy. So uh, I think he had a, a elk tag one year and, you know, he brought me out there. I really was coming for the hike, but, you know, he showed me how to look for game trails and look for rubs and track and everything like that. You know, I was like, yeah, this is kind of cool. But what made me decide to do it was I'm all about health and fitness. And I was like, it's nothing healthier than the organic meat you can get from hunting. That was really my transition into it. You know, it ties in a little bit into the yoga. Um, I went vegan for a little bit. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, I went vegan for a little bit. And uh, health-wise. Was that a personal decision or like? It was at a time because it's something about when you go the yoga meditation route, the next thing is you're trying to get everything organic and cleaned up because you're trying to clean up your body, clean up your spirit. So you go that route and everybody tells you that, you know, meat is bad for you, this, that, and the third. But I've grown to, from personal experience to think that's not the case, that really we are omnivores and that I've found the most energy, focus, and, and balance and peace having both meat and healthy vegetables and everything like that. It's all about moderation. That, I feel like, you know, like you get out here and if you go crazy, you know, with Wendy's and the Burger Kings and stuff like that, even like these plant-based patties, which is still, it's just something about something that's supposed to be made from plants that tastes like beef or something that just don't sit right with me. Right, right. 
and it's soy based. Yeah, like how is that supposed one if it does taste like because I I will admit full disclosure I've never tried, but if it's supposed to taste like beef and it's supposed to be healthy air quotes for you my thing is what chemical did you put in it to make it taste like beef because no plant that i am familiar with actually tastes like beef so that that's kind of my problem with the whole plant-based thing and that's a good point because you think plant-based you automatically start to think help but a lot of these things go through different processes as well and they got their own processing, that just like some of this meat is processed in a different way. And you think you're doing something healthy, and you end up not doing the most healthy thing for you. You know, everybody's different. So for some people out there, that might have worked for them. But for me, I end up kind of getting frail, not having enough energy, sustaining in- injuries. I had never been injured before until I was on a vegan diet. I'm not knocking it for everybody. It just didn't work for me. So the next thing that came to mind was, you know, I got my buddy that's up here hunting. And... I'm like, all right, I want organic meat. What better way than to go get it myself? That way, one, I'm not separated from the process. If I'm going to take a life of an animal, it's me doing it. You know, it's not some farm or some factory doing it, you know, and I just get to enjoy the meat. So, and I kind of got out there for that. Well, nothing wrong with that at all, man. So, take me through, you and your buddy, y'all decide to hunt. Now, there's oozes of forms of hunting. You know, you can crossbow, muzzleloader. A rifle, whatever, you know, your choice of weapon. Looks like you pretty much a bow guy. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, I have. I pretty much, you know, I went through the evolutions of things, but where I'm at right now is definitely a bow guy. Okay, so take me take me through the evolution. How, how did you end up, in my opinion, the best, the absolute best way to enjoy hunting, especially hunting big game, is with a bow. So take me through that process. How did you get to that? So on my first, my very first tag that I drew was a cow elk hunt. And I was pretty much on my own for it because my buddy Will got sick. And uh, I had a couple friends that I worked with that, you know, gave me advice. They were from either New Mexico or they had hunted here. But other than that, I was kind of up in the woods on my own. <laughs> now, that was, a, that was a rifle hunt. Okay. And just real quick for everybody, cow elk, that's basically, that, that's the female elk uh so the bull elk so the males cow elk being the uh the female elk so you drew a tag for a cow elk yes sir so i'm up there trying to figure it out i didn't know any i watched some youtube videos thought that would be enough you know i had a normal military issue backpack you know i had no gear anything like that i'm running around the mountainside trying to trying to chase some some cow elk that were way smarter than i was now was you camo like what did you just have on your standard issue camo or did you go out and get anything like so i did go out and get um some gear i i ended up buying first light camo which is pretty expensive on the expensive end you know i really didn't understand I, when i tell you i didn't know anything about hunting i had a huge learning curve <laughs> So, you know, I just watched YouTube videos and the YouTube videos of guys hunting out west that wearing first light. So I'm like, well, I guess I got to get some first light. You know, I know there was some cheaper brands out there and everything like that, but it, it's held up. So I'm glad that I made that investment. But, uh, you know, I went and got first light camo. I had to buy a rifle. I had to buy a scope. I got a Savage Access and a 7 mil 08. All of this is suggestions from friends. We we'll got a Vortex scope. I forget which one it is, but pretty decent scope. I invested into it pretty heavily leading up to the hunt. Once I drew the tag, I learned about scouting, <laughs> learned about e-scouting, everything, tracking, all like that, you know, leading up to the hunt. When you say e-scouting, you mean like using like uh, the Onyx maps or just like looking from like uh, 
through maps and stuff like that as opposed to, you know, putting boots to the ground? So, yeah, a combination of both. I would have Onyx and I would use Google Maps and kind of match up the scenery both ways. And I I found that's actually still one of the best ways. If you are trying to hunt a different state that you can't just get out there to to see, get Onyx, get Google Maps. You know, if you got two monitors at a computer, it's nothing better than to put one up on one monitor, one up on the other, and then kind of find through both map systems the best draws and knobs and whatever peaks that you think the animals will want to be in with the water sources and everything like that. But yeah, that was that was a rifle hunt. I wasn't successful. <laughs> Did not know a thing. I mean, real in retrospect, knowing everything that I know now is like, wow, I really was up there just on a nature stroll with, with a rifle, <laughs> you know? <laughs> How long did you stay up there? I was up there five days. Okay. So you put the time into it. Oh, yeah. I was determined. I mean, I was going, I was changing elevations and everything just off the advice of friends who, you know, day one, I, I didn't see anything. I already tried this. You know, day two, I didn't see anything. Go down here, you know. So it was exhausting at the end of it. But what I found was coming down off the mountain was this unsatisfied feeling, but this excitement because. I just got my butt kicked and I was kind of always taught that when you play a game like Madden, right? For example, you know, Madden's got all Madden, it's got, you know, all-star, rookie, everything like that. I was always taught that you start the game on all Madden and yeah, you're going to get your butt kicked and everything like that, but then you're going to adapt to it and you're going to know how to play at that expert level. So, you know, going up there and I'm like, there's a million hunts I could have done to start off hunting. <laughs> that would have been easier than that, you know? No, you did. <laughs> That's the thing that makes it that makes it exciting because, you know, like from your standpoint, you started with quite possibly one of the hardest things to do. In contrast, I started out relatively easy because my thing was get a couple of hunts under your belt, build your confidence, and then get out there and kind of turn yourself loose but i mean you know like you said there are different ways to skin a cat so to each his own so you got through your cow elk hunt without a cow elk what was the next step so the next step would actually be my wife's hunts so you know i get into to hunting everything like that you know my wife's like you know i, I like to hunt but her being you know who she is she, she tends to one-up me one way so she's like i want to hunt but uh i want to do it archery i'm like oh okay you know neither one of us got a bow you know, neither one of us know anything about archery, <laughs> but I'm like, okay, you want to do it with a bow? You know, I'm, in my mind, I'm kind of laughing at it because I'm like, I just what I just went through with a rifle and you want to get within, you know, 80 yards of this animal. You know, I was just like, okay, you want to do it with a bow? Cool. So she goes and she gets her bow and she trains with it for the whole year. She trains with it for the whole year. She draws a tag, different location from where our first location was, so. That was a whole experience just being in a different area. And uh, she goes for it. And the process of watching her train for a year straight, I'm talking every day after work, every weekend, going out, shooting, shooting, learning how to tune bows, the difference in arrows and everything that you need, you know, upgrading the equipment on the bow. Watching her go through that whole process, I really fell in love with the process of training with the bow. Now, when you say going through the training and tuning and all that stuff, now, is she, is this all, like, self-taught? Like, is she, like, going to different bow shops and kind of figuring it out? Or are y'all just YouTubing it and just kind of taking your lumps and learning along the way? So it's a combination of all of that. 
So my buddy Will, he already had a bow. And one thing about him is he's very, whatever he's doing, he gets into all the research and everything like that about it. So we had him as a guide of, you know, hey, this is going wrong, but he's no expert. So it was sometimes where we hit a brick wall where it's like, he couldn't tell us what was happening. So we would have to go down to a shop, have him look at it. Shop can't really tell you what's happening. And then, uh, you know, we go on YouTube and on YouTube, you got John Dudley. You know, you got a couple different YouTube specialists when it comes to archery. And John Dudley for form and technique and everything like that was somebody that we started watching. And he helped us out a lot, or really her initially, because it was all her. (laughs) But he helped us out a lot, turned into more of like the coach, trying to understand what he was saying so I could translate it over to what she was doing. So she got a, you know, she got everything between those three resources. We got everything kind of tuned in by the time her hunt came around. The closest shops to us is the closest one is about an hour. The next closest one about three hours. So, yeah, so a lot of it had to be on our own just because of those distances. That's dope. That's pretty awesome. So so she started with the bow, kind of got you into it. So now when she went out, she drew a tag. Did she make, did she, uh, was she successful? No, she wasn't successful. Let me retract that. Successful, I mean, obviously you know what I mean. So, you know, like, did she make a kill? But, I mean, hell, if you start from ground zero, and as far as, like, you know, getting into archery, bow hunting, you know, whatever you want to call it, and you start from ground zero and you tuning your bow, you getting, you know, getting all this knowledge about your arrows and arrow shafts, broadheads, you know, training, getting, you know, not only training physically, but getting, you know, yourself together as far as like taking shots and learning how to shoot a bow and stuff. I mean, hell, that's a lot of success right there. So no, she did she didn't kill, but that's pretty fucking impressive. Like, right, right, and, <laughs> and honestly, that's our opinion on it. You know, so <laughs> somebody right. asked about successful for me. I'm like, listen, I'm I'm originally from Washington D.C. I'm really a city kid that moved out to North Carolina and got exposed to a little bit of country life. Outside of that, I didn't go outdoors. I didn't play with wildlife, none of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so for me, it's a really a learning curve. <laughs> what part of North Carolina? I was outside of Fayetteville in uh, Spring Lake, North Carolina. Yep, I'm familiar. Fayetteville is probably about an hour, about an hour and some change away from where I grew up in South Carolina, but it's right up by 95. So I can appreciate that. Now, what about what about her background, real quick? Now, is is she a country girl? Or? So she is a country girl. She's a North Carolina native. Uh, she's from Kinston, North Carolina, originally, and we ended up meeting out in basically Spring Lake, the suburbs of Fayetteville. Okay, and then just kind of been hitched up ever since. How long y'all been married? We've been married six years now. I've known her since the fifth grade. <laughs> wow. <So>, yeah. <laughs> How old are you, dude? I'm 29. Okay. Man, six years. And been married six years. Yes, sir. Man, congratulate, man. Hat, look, hats off, claps. I hope the claps is going into, because you talking to somebody that's 42, they ain't never been married. So, congratulations. Like, I appreciate it, man. <laughs> like, for real. <laughs> like, I'm dead serious. That That's awesome. And, now, and y'all hunting together. So, I mean, that that is fucking remarkable. That's awesome, man. All right. So, let's, so self-taught. By she basically is self-taught. So during her process, do you kind of jump on board? Or does she kind of like nudge you and be like, hey, you know, you need to come on and join in? Like, how so how did you end up picking up a bow? So the funny thing is, so my buddy Will, 
going back to when I talk about her uh, doing everything with the archery hunt, that's last year. But my buddy Will wanted me to get into archery almost four or five years ago. And he was telling me then, you know, hey, you need to buy a bow. But he never, you know, I never got to shoot the bow. So he's talking about buying a bow. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool, man. But, you know, it's a little expensive just to, <laughs> just to be shooting a bow. <laughs> so now as we went through the process of her deciding that she wanted to shoot the bow, like I said, Will is kind of right there as as somebody we can go to and talk to. And he's like, you know, as he's giving her advice, he's telling me still, you know, all these years he's been telling me the whole time, like, you need to get a bow. And as I watched her through the process, I'm like, man, I really want a bow. You know, like this this rifle is cool, but, you know, once I get it sighted in, it really doesn't make sense for me to keep shooting it over and over and over again. But when it comes to the bow, I can shoot that a, a hundred times in a day and there's no real wear or tear on the bow. You know, I might lose an arrow or something like that, but it's not as expensive as buying ammo over and over. Then you couple that with elk hunting. And when it comes to elk, elk and turkey are very similar. People hate to hear it, but I'm going to say that they're similar. Wait a minute. Um, uh, hold up. Hold up. <laughs> uh-huh. pa- Pause real quick. I've turkey hunted and and have killed turkeys both with a with a bow and a shotgun. How how are they similar? I've never elk hunted, so break it down for us. How do you see it as a similar deal? All right. So when you when you were turkey hunting, let me ask you this: Did you have to speak the language to get that turkey to come in? Oh yeah, you talk turkey. Yep. You gotta talk elk, and it's the same concept. It's the same premise. When elk are in the rut. They want the ladies or they want to fight <laughs> when it's before the rut or whatever. Then they're just looking for the ladies. They're just trying to find them. They're not really trying to fight so much, everything like that. So you start to learn from their calls, from the sounds that they're giving out their bugles, everything like that. What do they want right now? You know, if I bugle back, is he going to run away because he's not ready to fight? Or if I just cow call like on one of these ladies, is he going to come into me thinking I'm one of the ladies? So it's the same concept with turkey hunting. Okay. I've never had it broke down like that, but that may, okay, that makes sense. Now, are you practicing your elk calling? Like, are you pretty good at it? Like, was that something that you had to, you was working at as well? Or what? what's the, what's the story on that? So it's, it's funny, because right? anything that I'm going to say that I'm going to do, I'm probably going to big my wife up even more. Because <laughs> what, what she went to school for was music, right? She plays musical instruments, everything like that, so... Again, we're we're self-taught on things, so I'm not sure where you're supposed to start at with calls. Maybe you're supposed to start with external calls, but we jumped right into, you know, the the mouth reads, <laughs> which is pretty difficult. <laughs> so when you say the mouth reads, because, you know, like with a turkey call, you got the diaphragm call. You basically put diaphragm as well. I'm talking about. OK, right? yep. so they have those for, for elk as well. Yes. OK. OK. And, uh, you know, so we jump right into diaphragm calls and uh, with her being musical. She picked it right up as far as understanding how to use it. Now, for me, I'm trying not to choke on the thing. (laughs) 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 Now, I got to work at everything. So I'm practicing twice as hard because I'm listening to her. She's just just going off with it. She's doing bugles. She's doing cow calls, everything like that. Wow. It's funny, too, that you say that because, like, and I'm assuming it's the same thought process because, I started out, like, I bought a little box call, and I didn't like it. I felt like I couldn't get it to sound like I want. And so I started using diaphragm call, and I love it basically because, especially when you bow hunting turkeys, it keeps your hands free. So you just making the noise, you know, with that call, and then you can, um, you know, if you get to the point where you're ready to make the shot, 
then you already got your ball in your hand. You make the draw, and then you you seal the deal. So that's kind of why I went with the diaphragm call. So I, I kind of I understand where you're coming from. What is also funny too is you're not the first person who has expressed the fear of choking on the diaphragm call. <laughs> the first couple times they used it, but. So are you still keeping that? Did you keep at it with the diaphragm or? Yeah, I did keep at it with the diaphragm. Um, I'm not going to toot my own horn, you know, no pun intended, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm decent. I, I can I can get some sounds off. You know, the sounds somewhat real. You know, to experience hunter, they might be like, that's another hunter. But I know that the, the elk react, you know. <laughs> Man, and that's all that matters. Cause, and it's funny because I've told the story many times about the first turkey that I killed with a bow. And just how, like, I went out that morning and I wasn't sure I was doing it right. And then I went back out in the afternoon and I called in four, what I thought was four, but ended up being five gobblers with this uh, diaphragm call. And it was in Nebraska and I ended up killing one with my bow. But man, you may think you sound terrible or like you say it. To other hunters out there be like, oh, that's just another hunter wailing, wailing, wailing. But, man, you never know what those animals going to respond to or what they feel, what they uh, think is going on. And if anything, the two things that kill animals, especially male animals religiously, curiosity and chasing women. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That are the two, basically, it boils down to chasing women and curiosity that kills male animals. I don't care if it's whitetail, turkey toms, bull elks. That is what brings their demise. So if you can, if you can make those sounds and talk the language, as they say, speak the language, that you're halfway there. So y'all got it down. Calling, she's calling, shooting. You picked up the bow. What kind of bows are y'all shooting? Are y'all shooting the same type bow or what? Yeah, we're actually shooting the same bow, uh, different axle to axle length. So I'm shooting. We're, we're shooting the uh, Matthews VXR, the new one that just came out for 2020. And uh, I'm shooting the 31 and a half inch axle to axle, and she's shooting the 28 inch axle to axle. Nice, nice. I am a Halon six man myself. I have shot the triax and i shot the um not the vertex but the traverse yeah the traverse is nice it is i still go back to my halon six it's almost like i tell people if you find that bow that just feels good and you shoot it like nobody's business i don't care what new bow comes out? I don't care what new flagship bow comes out. What tweaks they make, man. Once you find a bow that feels good in your hand and you can shoot it, just stick with it. Because, <laughs> because I keep going, I keep going back to my Halon Six. So, well, the funny thing you say that though is the Halon Six was actually the first bow I ever shot. <laughs> so that was Will's first bow, and when he finally did get around to being like, all right, I'm gonna let you shoot it because you know he moved on to a new bow. That was the first bow that I shot. So it actually took me, you know, the whole time my wife was shooting everything like that, the whole year I was trying to buy a bow, but I was trying to find something that fit right, you know, and I shot the Vertex, the Traverse and everything like that. I went to Hoyts, I went to Botex, I went to uh, Prime is really big out in the West. I'm not sure if it's big in the East. Yeah, I see a, I see a lot of ads for Prime in these hunting magazines, but it's funny, yeah, every time, it seems almost like 
in the magazines, whenever I see like an elk or like even somebody that's killed an antelope with a bow, it's usually with a prime. Yeah, yeah. Prime is, is huge out west and they make a great bow. They really do. That would have been probably my runner up. But when the verdicts, I mean, not the verdicts, but the VXR came out this year, it's so dead in your hand. The weight distribution is so straight up and down. It's whisper quiet, just like Matthews normally is. I was in love. Yeah, that's all right. So y'all got your bows. What was the next step after that for both of y'all? So uh, really, I got to run it back to uh, her hunts because all of her hunts last year was were archery hunts. So she she had the elk hunt. We weren't successful in harvesting the animal. But again, we're coming from, from nowhere, and the experience that we gained was worth way more. We actually, you know, got on to a herd. She got within about 60 yards of a herd. There was probably about five bulls in the herd, just raghorns. One herd bull that was uh, pretty large. I want to say it was about five by six, and uh, probably about, oh man, like 50-something cows. <laughs> Yeah, really, she could have threw up a shot. She probably would have hit something. But we wanted to get a little bit closer, you know, just to make sure it was going to be as clean a kill as we could get. And uh, started to creep in a little bit closer, learn how to play the wind on my hunt. So we were playing the wind, took our boots off, and we're creeping across rocks and cacti and everything like that, trying to get closer. And I don't, I don't think we spooked them, but as soon as the end of the herd had finally caught up with the rest of it, they all just ran off. <laughs> <laughs> They was waiting to get together, and then they and it was like, all right, let's be out. Exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm pretty sure they didn't know we were there. I don't think they winded us or anything like that. But just that experience alone and having to get that close, that kind of lit off another light bulb for me because, you know, with a rifle, you know, I can 300 yards or less, I'm, I'm really comfortable. <laughs> you know, some people take shots out further than that, but, you know, 300 yards or less right there, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. But to have to get that close, to have to take your boots off and sneak across some rocks, I'm like, oh, this is a whole nother level. So, well, <laughs> they're taking the boots off, what, just to add another level of quietness? Just another level of quietness? Because you don't, you know, you don't realize how loud you are, how much you smell to an animal, <laughs> you know, until you find out, you know, that one rock that you knocked over just spooked them. <laughs> Man, that is, uh, that, that is true. And, and it's funny because the same theme keeps coming up when I talk to people about bow hunting, man. And even though by Eastern standards or, you know, hunting in the South in these, you know, woods and the pines and stuff, 60 yards by definition is not close. But for a Western hunter, I mean, like you said, you want to try to get closer, but I've known, I've heard stories of successful kills from bow guys from 60 yards out because there's no no kind of cover. There's no kind of, you know, like you ain't in a tree stand or maybe you're in a blind if you're lucky, if you can find a place to put one. But at the end of the day, it's still the same thing. The joy, the best part of hunting with a bow is getting that animal close and being close and up on that animal to seal the deal. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that is the part that I would say, you know, I'm in love with now is the pursuit. <laughs> the idea that I'm in this animal's uh, habitat. I'm, I'm, I'm playing their game. This is their game. They're built for this. I'm not, <laughs> you know, so I got to learn how to how to be the, the true apex predator out here if I'm going to be successful. And I love it. You know, it's just a, it's a chess match, not only uh, you versus the animal that you're hunting, but you versus the environment. We were at around, I want to say 7,000 feet for that hunt. 
you know. <laughs> so you're dealing with the altitude. You're dealing with the, the actual, like I said, it was cacti out there. So it's cacti all over the place stabbing you, you know. The heat, it was uh, September, so it was still hot, <laughs> you know. <laughs> still, and then Diamond, uh, y'all got them, uh, we got timber rattlers. Out here, y'all got them diamondbacks out there, right? Them diamondback rattlers. We got diamondback rattlers that have evolved to stop rattling because it gives away their location. Jesus. You know, so you, yeah, so you dealing with that. You dealing with the, <laughs> the, the mountain lions. Oh, you father. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's, it's. I didn't even think about the mountain lions. Yeah, mountain lions and bobcat. Man, look here. Yeah. And then y'all out there, y'all out. Like you said, you know, hiking, basically spot and stalk. Spot and stalk for sure. Spot and stalk, backcountry. Our minimum hikes were about 12 miles, which for, for Western hunters, that's actually not a lot. But <laughs> yeah, for, you know, that was about six miles in that we would hike in. And then, you know, we would take it six miles back each day. That was our average each day. When are you starting? Like, what time are you getting up? Oh, man, we're getting up probably about, I think, we will be up about five o'clock, getting geared up, everything like that. Um, we're at our spot five thirty in the morning, but that's that was on. We camped out for that hunt, so we're already camping in the backcountry. Gotcha, and that's a whole. I mean, that adds a whole nother level of experience because not only are you talking about you know hiking in and then camping, you got to set up camp. You hiking in with your gear, then you turn around and then you get geared up for the gear that you need for the hunt you hike some more then if you you know you gotta hike back to camp man like everybody that i've ever talked to that's hunted out west has always said do yourself a favor make sure you're in shape <laughs> you gotta be because <laughs> if you're not like you already operating at a deficit and i try i mean i feel like you know for now i know you look and you may see a lot of, you know, southern hunters, eastern hunters, you know, beer, beer belly, you know, camo belly hanging over the over the pants and, you know, may not be the most, you know, rock solid, shapely bunch. But I try to make sure, you know, my cardio and everything is, is on point, you know, do uh, strength training in case, you know, you got to drag a deer so far. I mean, luckily for me, like all the deer that I've dragged, I only had to drag a few short feet that I get them to my ATV and I can get them out. But I got a lifted truck. So getting them off of the ATV into the back of the bed is a process as well. So no, long story short, you want to be in in shape, but ain't too many. Uh, it's almost like soccer players. Like I always joke, you never really seen a quote unquote overweight soccer player. I don't see too many Western hunters that don't have some kind of leanness to them because you really got to be in shape for all that hiking and and hunting. I mean, hiking and stuff to get to where you're going, man. I mean, your best bet. Now you can road hunt. Well, you say road hunt. What you mean? Just so you can actually just ride around in the truck, park up to a spot, throw out some elk calls, 
you hear a bugle or something, you know he's pretty close, you hop out from there, and maybe he's only a, a mile or so most off the road. <laughs> maybe he's only a mile away. And hopefully you have cover, because as soon as you get out the truck and slam the door, they're like, oh, look at that jackass off in the feet. Yeah, I'm taking <laughs> off. I'm leaving this place. Right. <laughs> so you, you can do that. That just wasn't the style that I was brought into. You know, that wasn't how Will hunted. Will was trying to get his way from, uh, get as far away from roads as possible. And what I noticed is you might catch an elk or a mule deer or, or anything pretty close to the road. But when you get about two miles away from that road, it opens up. Now you're seeing herds. Now you're seeing all types of wildlife. So even if you didn't see an elk that day, you, you for sure saw a mule deer or whatever else might have been out there. You really got into the wilderness once you get at least that two miles away from the road. So that was just my training in my mind when we went for her hunt was we got to get away from these roads. <laughs> right. It's same same process or same thought process out here with people that hunt public land. I mean, even hunting my, my spot, you know, I found more success if you actually make the effort to go deeper in the woods. I mean, anybody can go in couple hundred yards or whatever the case is off of the uh like you say off of the road or off of where you park that but if you really want to increase your chances you go where most people either don't want to go or don't want to take the time to go so it's kind of like the same same theory out here now i want to keep talking about like the western hunt and saying the difference and stuff but i don't want to get too far off track because i know at the end there is a harvest that's coming so what uh you guys went on the elk hunt, you and your wife. She wasn't successful at that time. So what happened next? Like what was the what was the next step in your in your process? So the, you know, the next step in in our process was one, all right, let's not be too upset because we learned a lot. <laughs> True. Keep it in perspective. Right. And two, being in New Mexico. I can't really say enough good things about the conservation efforts out here, but you really afforded a lot of opportunities to hunt. Now, it's a lottery system, so some people will tell you, you know, they've been here 10 years and they never drew a, a tag, but they've been here 10 years putting in for the same unit every year, which is a difficult unit to draw, and that's why they didn't draw a tag. You know, if you're willing to kind of spread it out a little bit, you can get a tag almost every year, you know, most likely, and there's so many species to go through. With that being said, we pretty much, you know, that was last year. She didn't harvest. I had a hunt coming up next. Again, I'm still rifle hunting because I didn't have a uh, a bow yet. And I learned a hard lesson about those units that I'm talking about. <laughs> and just to clean it up real quick, units is basically just different areas. You're putting in for different, instead of putting in for the same area every time, you're putting in for different areas, different units, and then that's helping your cause because you're not sticking to this one spot that may be like overran or whatever the case is. Exactly. So, you know, when I say units, it's almost like county lines just broken up throughout the state and uh, each county line, this, you know, this unit will might have all the elk in it, you know, so it's a prime unit. Of course, everybody wants to, wants to hunt there. So the draw odds is going to be less there than maybe a unit a little further West. There's a little less elk, but they're in there. Your odds to draw that are higher because of that. So uh, my rifle hunt, this is where I learned a huge lesson when it comes to New Mexico draw system. <laughs> so I put in for a unit that I was pretty much, you know, you can look up the draw odds and everything like that. And this one was like almost guaranteed I was going to get a tag. So I'm like, oh, OK, I'm going to put that down for sure. I drew the tag. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> How far away from 
you know, from your home or where from where you're living, was that area? Five hours. Oof. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So it's a hard lesson learned. So five hours away, right? So I can't just run up to now. There's a unit right next to us, and you can go up the road. That's actually where I was up, shed and that's about an hour away total. And uh, you can go up there, scout whatever you need to do. That's what I was used to. I got this unit that's five hours away from me. I can't just make a trip out there to scout over and over again. So I pretty much made one trip, <laughs> scouted it out, looked at the area, didn't see an elk, but I saw like, okay, this elk could be here. This is their habitat, everything like that. So when it's time for the hunt, I'll go out there again and, you know, I know what to do. <laughs> so I go out there and I learned a lot about public to private ratios as far as when something says, you know, they got 68% public land, the access might still be blocked by all the private land. So you really don't have that 68% because, you know, ranchers or whoever has bought up property and bought those roads that give you access to that public. So what ended up happening was what I thought I was going to have as far as public access, I didn't. And I ended up with a small pocket to work from. And that small pocket, every hunter in that, in that unit was in there. <laughs> so, you know, the LK long gone, they figured it out, moved on to some other unit somewhere else. And none of us the whole time we were there, we would come back every day to our camps and be like, you see anything? Nope. <laughs> and that was my elk hunt for last year. And I had a bull tag for that one. How many hunters are you talking about? And then how big is that that space once it's collapsed down? So I would say for the, the hunters that I'm talking about, it's at least six of us. There may have been other hunters in the area that I didn't communicate with, but may have seen in passing or something like that. I mean, this this was a small pocket. I can maybe seven miles by seven miles. I mean, tiny, like you had to be careful. Everybody had to have at least now in New Mexico, it's not mandatory to have the blaze orange, but we had blaze orange hats on because we're right on top of each other. It was a real lesson learned as far as New Mexico's draw system and everything like that, which is a really great system because unlike other Western states, New Mexico doesn't have a point system. So if you're out of state, you have basically the same odds to draw as everybody else. Instead of somebody who's been putting in in Arizona, they have points over you. So most likely they're going to get that tag. Right. Yep. It's kind of like that in Wisconsin for turkeys or uh, turkeys and bears. Uh, you kind of put in for the tag. And I mean, I was lucky enough to draw. But again, it was just like you said, you go to an area where you're more likely to draw than others. And you can find your, you know, find your odds better getting a draw and then that'll uh, draw on the tag and then that'll make it, you know, easier for you to get out there and possibly be successful. So, um, no, I totally, I totally get it. So where, now that you said that this was last season that, um, that you went through this. So are you coming up this year? Are you turkey hunting? Like does she harvest, uh, this past, uh, elk season or what, what? Actually, neither one of us harvest, and we had both elk tags. We drew mule deer tags and a javelina tag as well, and we weren't successful on any of that as far as harvesting. So this year, <laughs> we're taking all that experience, all that learned, all the, all, you know, I guess you could, you know, say failures, and I won't even say failures, just lessons, and we're, we're coming with it this year. We got strategy. We understand now, like, all right, just because this unit is easy to draw don't mean that's where you need to be going. At the same time, doesn't mean that you need to put in for this unit that's hard to draw. You need to find a balance in between. We've learned to understand distance and how we can actually get out there to scout. We've learned a lot about all the species that we wanted to hunt. So um, Will had an antelope hunt last year that he was successful on. 
and we worked on that together. So I learned a lot about the difference and just the difference between species is crazy because you deal with deer species that, you know, they're mostly off their smell. You know, they got sight and hearing and everything like that, but the smell of them before anything else. And then you flip that to go to antelope and they're just walking binoculars, you know. <laughs> they don't care about the smell at all. They just trying to see you. Right. <laughs> so was his antelope uh, harvest with a bow or a rifle? His was harvested with a rifle, but we ended up sneaking so close up on it. He really was in bow distance. I want to say he was at forty five yards when he shot it. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he closed distance on that. Okay. He really did. It wasn't intentional, but the way to land, then in order for him to even get within a shot, he had to keep getting closer. <laughs> so. Talk to me about hunting out west because everything that I've ever seen or known, it's just real like open spaces with little pockets of cover here and there. Is that is that right? Is it a little bit more to it than that? Like what? what? So truth be told, it is extremely diverse when you're talking about habitat. You can go to grass plains where you'll see the antelope. You know that song, uh, where the deer and the antelope roam and yeah. everything like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the it's the real real deal because you can get into the flats is what we call them, and that's where your antelope are at. Sometimes you have your mule deer down there. Sometimes you even have your coos deer, which is a smaller desert deer, smaller than a whitetail. Then you go up the mountainsides and you'll have your mule deer kind of sprinkled in there. You have your elk as you get higher in elevation, and then in New Mexico you got bighorn sheep, you got desert horn sheep, and you got uh, barberry sheep or all dads. All of that you can hunt as well. <laughs> I've had all dad before. All dad is actually is pretty good as with as with any kind of wild game meat. It's all about how you cook it. But the all dad that I had was was really good. So like how like is it all spot and stalk? Is there any kind of ambush? Like can you use feeders? Like are there blinds, trees there? Like anything or so you can use blinds. I haven't read anywhere where. A blind could not be used. So for turkey hunts, some people will use blinds. For antelope hunts, especially, if you can set up a blind on a water hole, that's usually one of your best bets for getting the antelope. Okay. Yeah, I've, I have seen that. Tree stand hunting? I can't say that I know anyone who's done that. I've heard people say that there are people who will do it, but really spot and stalk or just playing the call game is usually your best bet with most of these animals out of here. With mule deer, is is definitely spot and stalk all day. Elk, you can kind of set up an ambush. You can you can kind of not so much in a blind, but you can get in a spot where you got cover in the woods, everything like that, and call them in to you. And there's a surprise for them, you know. But uh, that's pretty much Western hunting in a nutshell. I enjoy the pursuit, but I'm gonna be honest with you. When you said earlier, when you were talking about you know starting out and building your confidence up, if I had the opportunity to hunt east and get my confidence up with some successful kills. I would take it because <laughs> it's, it's rough out here. It's fun, but you have to understand that it's a good chance that this season you're going to, you're going to walk, you might not be walking away with anything, you know, at least if you're hunting public. Are y'all going turkey hunting? We are turkey hunting. So we're actually geared up for a turkey hunt. We got everything but some decoys. I think, I think we're going to invest in some decoys this year. We're going to be bow hunting for that. For me, all my hunts here on out are all archery hunts. I don't, uh, you know, I really didn't care what the animal was or how difficult it could be. Um, if I draw the tag, it's going to be archery tag. Now, is there a lot of small game uh, hunting or uh, waterfowl hunting out there? Have you have you dabbled in that or? 
that's something else that we we're talking about gearing up for. So I actually went and got a shotgun for some waterfowl hunting. And she's looking into get my, you know, my wife, Talisha, is looking into getting one as well. We got some friends that do waterfowl hunting. So there's plenty out here. New Mexico doesn't have a whole lot of water. Right, right. That's why I was kind of like, what, what's the... What's the draw? Because it's almost like a desert kind of terrain out there, right? Yeah, for the most part. of Just about any water here is usually a man-made reserve. But there are those reservoirs. It's a man-made reservoir. So there are those reservoirs around. And you can get ducks and geese in. And you have sandhill crane as well, which I'm not sure if you ever had it. But a friend of mine just gave me some about two days ago. And they call it the steak of the ribeye of the sky. Yeah, yeah. I've never had it, but I've heard, yeah, it, like the ribeye of the sky. That is the most accurate description right there because, I mean, it was just like a steak. You cooked the medium rare. You would not have known it was a steak. It has a slightly fishy taste, but other than that, it tastes just like ribeye. <laughs> huh. Okay. I'm going have to have to try to get in on some uh on some sandhill crane, man. Please do come out to New Mexico and, and you know try some of these hunts too. <laughs> well, you know it's funny because like I've been for years, I've been looking at like trying to do something in West Texas, like El Paso, like out in that area, and that's not that El Paso's not that far from New Mexico. Of course, it looks like it's not that far on the map, but it really isn't. So I'm about an hour and a half from El Paso. I usually do most of my shopping out there. Okay. Okay, so, yeah, we might have to see if we can string something together because, I mean, I'll try anything once. Well, let me take that back. (laughs) I'll try just about anything once. (laughs) Right, right. There's definitely some boundaries in that. (laughs) But, no, man, we have to... um, if I can find my way out there, I, I would love to check it out. I It's not something, you know, like I know a lot of people like want to go to Colorado and do the elk hunts and, you know, places like that. But I actually know, matter of fact, um, the guy that I interviewed from South Carolina, Lafayette uh, Trowel, goes by uh, Blood, Sweat, and Gears on uh, Instagram. He's hunted New Mexico. He killed, I think, either last year or year before last, he killed the antelope from, like, with a rifle with, like, 80-something yards or something like that. Yeah, I saw that. He's he's killing it. He's killing it. He's one of my uh, favorite channels to watch, one of my favorite pages to watch. And the reason why I like him, because he's embraced it, you know, like, I admire what you, you know, and guys that take the challenge of public land because, man, it, it is definitely a grind. And sometimes, you know, for some people, that's all they want to do. And I admire that. He kind of, like, takes, like, destination trips. So, like, how people make destinations of going to, like, well, it used to be the Dominican Republic before all that stuff jumped off. But, like, you know, Puerto Rico or Aruba or wherever, he takes destination hunts. And that's something that I want to get more into. Cause I, so I think he found, like, a an outfitter or a guy or whatever out there, man. He took down the antelope. That cat killed, like, two turkeys in one day in Kansas. Like, the first day he got out there, he's just, like, all over the place. And I'm like, man, more, hey, more power to you, bro. Like, Shoot, if I can get it like that, I would love it. And honestly, that's one of the best ways to really go about it when you're not 
from out here. When you're out here, you kind of start to learn the mountains, where the animals are going to be at and everything like that. But when you're not from here, it's, it's difficult coming from out of state, especially if you, you're not exposed to the West at all. So that going through an outfitter, a guide or anything like that is your best bet. <laughs> you Please know? say that for for the people that sit on their damn high horse in the back. Because I, I, I keep trying to tell people, and I ain't going to get on a tangent because I still want to talk to you about this, uh, about this yoga before I get out um, before I get you out of here. But man, I keep trying to tell people, if you aren't from an area or if you going somewhere and you not from around there, you don't have time to scout. Ain't nothing wrong with getting somebody who can smarten you up and put you, you know, where you need to be. If you just going into a place on a wing and a prayer and you don't have time to scout, you might as well be pissing in the wind. I don't understand what's so hard for people to understand that. But anyway, like I said, I ain't getting on, on my soapbox about that tonight. Yoga. Talk to me about yoga, bro. Like, I've seen, you know, like, there's a, again, there's a wrestler, Diamond Dallas Page, that has his own form of yoga and stuff. And I'm starting to see more and more dudes getting into yoga. What What's that all about, man? And, and how does that help you with your hunting? Oh, man, I could definitely tie that into hunting. So where do I want to start with this? So I started yoga probably 2013, I think. And what got me into it was I was stationed in Japan and you travel around and there are Buddhist temples all over the place. So you visit the Buddhist temples and it's peaceful and everything like that. I was like, man, that's cool, you know, but I'm not a religious person. So I couldn't really see myself practicing anything per se, but I, I like to adopt different things that I think work from the thing. So I kind of got into meditation first. And the meditation helped a lot because, you know, I'm be honest, just being a black man in America, you experience a lot of traumas growing up. And that was one way that it really helped me deal with those traumas and come to peace with a lot of things was through the meditation. The physical aspect of that meditation is really is yoga. So you, you go from the peace and calmness of, of sitting and breathing and getting through that phase because just doing that is difficult <laughs> but I'm a fitness person so I'm lifting weights I'm running I'm doing all these other things and I'm not really doing the stretches like I'm supposed to but for me it was more of a natural transition to go into yoga from there then once you start to do yoga you learn more about patience meditation balance and everything like that all kind of connects that way to give you that spiritual health that you need then when you tie that into hunting when you talk about, you know, if you're talking about whether it's in a tree stand or a spot and stuff, you got to sit there and be patient. Yes, you do. <laughs> now, patience is, is is one thing that is difficult for me, but through practicing it this way, it becomes easier. So when I'm out there spot and stalking or at West, we say we're glassing. And that's when you're just sitting underneath a, a tree, a tarp, whatever you got for some shade. And you just look through your binoculars, just hoping to see something move. You know, you glass it for hours. You're looking at the side of a mountain for hours. When I first started doing that, I was frustrated. <laughs> I was like, look, man, I'm about 10 minutes in. I ain't seen nothing. There's no animals in here. Get me out of here. But I started using the same principles from meditation and yoga of breathing. Calm your mind. Just be patient. You know, just enjoy the moment. And that's when I started to see animals while I'm sitting there glassing because I'm looking at the same spot. And I actually been looking at this deer the entire time. But it wasn't until he wiggled his ears, you know, about 45 minutes in that I finally saw him. So learning that patience, learning how to be in the moment and actually enjoy the hunt. <laughs> A lot of hunters are focused on meat. And that's awesome because that's what it's about. Or antlers, right? 
but they missed the whole process of everything that happened in between. You missed the beauty of that landscape that you went out there to see. You missed your day outdoors, the fresh air that you took in. You missed all them birds that flew by and how beautiful they were. You missed all that because you were so focused on that one objective instead of taking a breath and just being in that moment. So that's how that ties into, that's how I got into yoga. That's how I use it. And that's how it ties into hunting for me. Man, that's that's awesome. I, I You know, I can definitely take a page out of your book because I I don't. That's me. Like, I might enjoy the sunrise. I get in there and get settled and, you know, enjoy the sunrise, enjoy listening to the woods come alive, the birds and stuff. But after that, I'm like, all right, where to do it? Yeah, like, where did, where did, it, not so much ready to go, but it's just like, all right, where did where the deer? Like, where's something gonna happen? I, like, my favorite hunts are hunts where, and I know it sounds wrong, but my favorite hunts are hunts where I'm out there two, three hours. Like, we killed, we sat, let's see, I was just looking at this um, a few hours ago before I talked to you. Like, my turkey last year in Wisconsin, we were out there, I think, at like 547. Sunrise was 547 or something like that. And that turkey was dead by 614. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to go. Yeah, that's a good day. Like, you know, I go, right, right. go to the taxidermy, like, get, breast them out, you know, cut everything, the beard and the, the feet and the spurs and, you know, the tail feather, drop it off at the taxidermy, get the one of the breasts in the freezer, get the other one chopped up to eat later on. By noon, I'm chilling. Like, that's a good, that's a good day. I killed, you know, my doe this year. I think I was in the stand by like 7.30. By like 9.30, I was dragging her ass out. Like, that's, <laughs> that's a good day for me. But going, what I guess my point is, it's like I can definitely take a page out of your book. Calm down. Like, just, you know, enjoy it. Like, take it in, especially, you know, like in your line of work and then definitely in my line of work where, you know, you always on the go and hustle and bustle and deadlines and yada, yada, yada and, you know, pressure situations, you know, or whatever. When you get a chance to get out in the woods and just relax, man, just, just relax, chill, take it in. And and so I think we all, I know I can, I think that's something that we all definitely can do, man. Man, Jordan, I've enjoyed this, brother. This has been good, man. I, I am glad that you were able to come down from the mountains and uh, bless me with the opportunity to talk to you on, uh, on the Bryantland show, man. Let people know where they can find you, where they can find you know, your wife and follow your man Will, like everything, man. The green on uh, the, uh, I was about to mess this up. The green, <laughs> the green horn team, man, all that, bro. And before, you know, I say all that, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. I, like, I, I've never done a podcast or anything like that. You know, I talk about hunting all day with my buddies, but it's really cool to get out there and hear somebody else's perspective from, you know, from the East or whatever, all the things that you've experienced and hear your insight. So I really appreciate that. And I appreciate that, man, because the thing that I love about doing this is just talking to different people and especially talking to people who 
quote unquote, like we still new to this. Like this will be like my fifth, I think my fifth or sixth season. Like I'm losing count. I know it ain't been that many season going into it. I think you told me this is like your third or fourth or whatever. Like, and so like we still have so much, you know, just that we can share and just experiences. And like you say, going through the, the trials and the learning and making mistakes and stuff like that, man. So it, it, it's really a pleasure to get to talk to someone who's kind of still on that same page that I'm on and still kind of new to this thing and trying to figure it out. Yeah, definitely, man. Thank you. Thank you. So my, my Instagram is HuntGatherYogi. That's where you can find me personally. And, you know, if you follow me for hunting, you might not get a whole lot of that because I, I, I spread it out of all my hobbies. I'm into fitness, overlanding. I could go on for days. I just do a lot of stuff um, for the hunts. I saw that, man. Like, you got a lot of, like, <laughs> workout stuff, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, shoot, if you're trying to get your body right and trying to train, man, shoot, that's still a good follow because you can pick up some exercises and stuff that you got going on. Definitely. That was my first passion. So, if you're looking into health and fitness, please give me a follow. Greenhorn Hunters is uh, where all my hunting activities will probably be focused at um that's going to be a page with me and my best friend will who i've been talking about um we're on there we'll post all our hunting highlights and days we go out shed shed hunting and just nature in general will be up there my wife's page is talisha underscore and kess so a-n-q-u-e-s and you can give her a follow she's really trying to get uh more diversity in the hunting with women and everything like that and then bring tie that into the conservation efforts and everything that's that's something that she she's working on and uh also holloman h-o-l-l-o-m-a-n underscore hunters is a group of air force active duty and veterans that are putting together a group to get our newer airmen to the air force out into the outdoors so that they can experience some hunts and everything like that so if you all could give them a follow that'd be awesome as well Oh man, that's what's up, man. You got it, got it covered, got all the bases covered, and um, I like those uh the effort, especially with the uh with the airmen, and then like with uh with what your wife got going on, because it's always you know trying to get more women, trying to get more African American women in general, just you know into hunting and outdoors and stuff like that. So anytime you you got something where you're trying to bring more people in, man, you know, I'm all about it. Right, right. Well. Jordan, I appreciate you, man, taking the time. We definitely um gonna have to try to figure out a way to link up and uh get you back on here soon, maybe after turkey season or maybe over the summer before you are uh, gearing up to hit the mountains again. But man, we gotta get you back. Hey, for sure, man. Anytime. You already know. Just go ahead and hit me with the message. Let me know. And uh we'll link up. If you ever decide to come out this way, you know, we can we can try and make that happen. You know, I got I got a few people that's very experienced with New Mexico hunts, man. So I would love for that to happen for you. That's what's up, man. I appreciate it. No problem, man. You have a good night. You too. Brightland. Once again, thank you to Jordan Harvin for taking the time to participate in the Bryantland show this week, man. I really enjoyed talking to him, learned some things about hunting out west, specifically in the uh, state of New Mexico. Jordan and his wife and his buddy Will, man, they got some good things going on out there in New Mexico. Make sure you check them out on their Instagrams. All of their information are will be in the show notes, so make sure you check that out, man. Before I get ready to get up out of here, I just would love for y'all to 
take advantage of checking out BryantlandCountry.com. BryantlandCountry.com is the website. One-stop shopping, everything Bryantland, whether it is videos, whether it's past podcasts, whether it's blogs, merchandise, man. Go get them Hey Turkey t-shirts for uh, turkey season, man, on the uh, BryantlandCountry.com website. BryantlandCountry.com, one-stop shopping for everything Bryantland. Thank you. Once again, for participating and listening to the Bryantland Show, we cannot say thank you enough. Make sure you mash that five-star button and give us that five-star rating, whether it's on iTunes or whatever platform that you listen to the Bryantland Show. Thank you again. Tell five people to tell five more people. And then make sure you come back next week for another episode of the Bryantland Show.